All right, Psalm 82, as we pick up, that means that last time we were together, we ended with Psalm 81. So I think we did Psalms 80 and 81, so now we're picking up in 82 with the bold ambition uh, to get through uh, the three Psalms uh, this evening on our way through the Scripture. So uh, Psalm 82, verse 1, says, A Psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All foundations of the earth are unstable. So uh, we have uh, quite a bit to look at. And uh, as we're looking here, if you look at verse 1, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Uh, now, this is not speaking of pagan gods. Uh, this is speaking about uh, those that are entrusted with the great responsibilities of representing the Lord to the people. Um, the, notice there's a little g there, right? In uh, John chapter 10, uh, Jesus quoted uh, this scripture here in explaining uh, to them what this meant. And uh, because they were saying, you who are a man, you're making yourself equal with God. And, and, uh, and he's saying, doesn't the scripture say this? And he, and he teaches them uh, from this scripture here. So this is a, um, this is a rebuke to the leadership. Those that are judges, those that are are supposed to be judging uh, justly and uh, without partiality. Because if you look at verse 2, there's a glimpse into more of what's being discussed here. It says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Um, so when we when we consider what's happening here, this is a rebuke to those judges. And, um, you know, you can't escape God's judgment. We just can't. You know, and and so there's an accountability for these these individuals. Thankfully, because of the the grace um, of God, that when we believe in Him, when our, our faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, and we stand uh, in in Him, uh, sinless because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear God's judgment. We don't fear God's judgment. God's judgment is poured out on those that reject Him. You know, when, when you consider, when you look through the scripture and you see the blessings that come from those that are obedient to him, there isn't a judgment on us. We don't have to, if we stand in Christ, if we have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ, then we don't have to fear the judgment of God. We, you know, we, we have, have passed from judgment into, into life in Christ. We don't, we don't have the condemnation that, that, is upon our, that was upon our lives before we came to Christ. So uh, when, when we consider <clears throat> what is uh, being discussed here, the accountability uh, that he's, he's indicting these judges that are overseeing Israel. And the indictment here is that they're, ju that they're judging us unjustly and that they're showing partiality to the wicked. Um, that's the indictment against them. That's quite an indictment, um, you know, knowing that, that the, uh, the judge, uh, the true judge with a capital J, uh, is indicting them saying you guys are unjust judges and uh, so there, there's quite an indictment here uh, is in what we're reading here 
Um, and, and then if you look at verse uh, 3, it says, Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. So there's the command to these judges. Like, what are they? How are they supposed to be conducting themselves? Defending the poor and fatherless. Uh, do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy, and free them from the hands of the wicked. Right? Because what's what's being what they're being indicted on? The charges being brought against them is that they're being unjust judges, and that they're showing partiality to those that are wicked. You know, I, th I think that we can look, you know, between the lines here and see that, you know, the wicked are the powerful, you know, the ones that, that might win them over, might be able to bribe them into ruling in their favor over the poor. Right. Because when it's talking about the poor and needy and the poor and fatherless, that doesn't describe somebody who's monetarily blessed. Right. You're talking about somebody who's probably struggling to make bills. So, you know, struggling. They're, they're saying, hey, you know what? I've got X amount of dollars. I've got enough to pay my mortgage. i got enough to make sure my taxes are paid. Uh, I, you know, I'm probably going to have to make, um, uh, you know, meals and stretch them out. And, uh, you know, for today's world, it would be like, hey, I'm going to have to pre-make a bunch of food and, and, and these things. I'm probably not going to be able to go out to eat. And, you know, those that, that, that you would consider in our, uh, you know, you consider what we would consider poor in this nation. But if you look worldwide, we're in the top like 96 percentile. If we've got spare change, we are rich in, in comparison to, to the majority of this world. So this, you know, what does this say to us? <laughs> what does it say to our hearts? Right. We might we may live, um, you, know, you know, lives that aren't lavish and everything like that. But if we consider how blessed we are and the responsibilities we have. Wow. <laughs> you know, consider that. You know, if we have spare change, we're richer than 96% of this world. That's crazy. That's insane. Wow. You know, that, that's, that's saying a lot here. Look at verse 5. It says, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Now, um, it's interesting here. Uh, if this is talking about the judges, that's a powerful indictment against them. Look at that. They, they don't understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are, are unstable. In, in, like the government, you know, the, the, the foundations of the government are unstable. So if it's talking about those people, then there's an indictment there. And if it's talking about uh, the, the poor and needy and the fatherless, the judges are called to inform them, use the scripture uh, to correct and, and to uphold uh, the the law and to and to protect these people because you know they they don't understand they walk about in darkness so either way you want to look at that there's responsibility being put on the leadership the responsibilities on those that are leading one way or the other so it's pretty interesting to look at Hosea chapter four verse six a just the first half of that says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. They're destroyed because of lack of knowledge, because they've rejected the knowledge that was available to them. You know, that's that's quite a, uh, a crazy thing to consider here. So Hosea 6, um, 6a, that first half of that, my people are destroyed uh, for lack of knowledge. You know, consider, uh, you know, what we're responsible for as a church. Um, you know, that, that the teachers are responsible, pastors are responsible 
for the church knowing the scriptures. That's that's my responsibility. If I shirk that responsibility and I don't teach, that falls back on me, right? So I, as the scripture says, I want to get to that point where I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, right? You know, Paul had to say that in a little bit of a harder manner, like, hey, I've told you everything you needed to hear. Are you going to listen or not? You know, so so that declaration um, here that, that the poor and needy are to be uh, protected. They're supposed to be provided for. Uh, they're supposed to be, um, you know, brought under the wing of those uh, that are entrusted to oversee them. Now, where this this these five verses, there's um, a discussion happening here regarding partiality. We looked into that here recently in, in a past discussion, but if we want to look at what partiality is, we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit deeper uh, tonight. So um, you're going to see the scriptures come up on there, but if you'd like to turn there, we're going to look at nine verses uh, in James chapter 2 regarding what partiality would look like, um, there, there, where there would be some sort of favoritism and, and those types of things. So James chapter 2, like I said, it's going to be up there, but if you have a hard time seeing that, you can turn in your Bible uh, to James chapter 2, verse 1, and we're going to read through uh, verse 9. It says, uh, so James is writing. This is James, the brother of Jesus Christ. It says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And what does partiality look like here? We're going to see verse 2 says, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So when these judges, when we look back in, in Psalm 82, and we see here that they're indicted uh, with the crime of, in, in the sin of, you know, how long will you judge unjustly and will you show partiality? We're getting a glimpse into what that means. Because James is saying, if somebody comes in and you can benefit, the, this, is, this is quite an indictment against today's church. You see somebody coming in. They may look a little bit different, but they come in driving the awesome car, and they come in with the, you know, the the the, the watch, or they come in and you're like, hey, isn't that? And, and they're given, you know, that that preferential treatment. Hey, come sit right in the middle here. And then in comes somebody who, you know, might have a hole in their jeans and you know, hole in their shoes and everything. And we're like, hey, we got a seat for you in the back. We might have one. If not, hey, there's an overflow, and you can listen to the study out there. Then, I, then we're showing partiality. We've sinned against that man, and we've sinned against God. Because what we're saying is, is the man that can benefit us the most is more important than you. 
That's partiality. That's what these judges are indicted for. That's the crime they're being accused of, is that they would say, hey, the rich person can really benefit me more than this person, so we're going we're gonna to rule in favor of that person because we can benefit personally from them. And God is saying, how long are you going to do that? That's quite an indictment. We just read, um, I think it was last uh, Wednesday, as we're going through uh, and we're in Exodus, I think we're going to pick up in 24 this week, I think. Um, but it, last week we discussed this a little bit. And Exodus 23, verse 3 says, You shall not post, uh, show... Not, it's Sunday night, right? You guys know what, what happens on Sunday nights. My brain just goes into a blender. But um, you shall not show partiality uh, to a poor man in his dispute. So here's the other side of this. Because he's poor, you can't show partiality to him and be like, Well, he's poor. we got to rule in his favor. What if the, the, the man who has more is... Right in the scenario. You can't be like, well, yeah, even though he ripped you off, you can afford to lose this, right? You're rich. You can... No, that's not. So there's there's a partiality. There's a, a just judgment that's required of those that are called to judge. So this, this partiality that's being uh, spoken of goes both ways. You can't show favoritism to one that you're going to be receiving from, but you also can't say, well, you're poor. You can't do anything wrong, um, you know, because they could also do uh, just as much wrong. They just don't have the ability often to influence somebody with their money and power, right? So uh, when we look at it, so we're going to continue to look at a few more examples. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and it should come up here. Um, uh, verse 16 says, Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, bring it to me and I will hear it. So that command that's, that's being said here, partiality is not accepted there. If something's too hard, then Bring it to bring it to Moses is what he's saying. You know, you can't figure it out, then bring it to me. But the the description is is what Moses is telling those that are being delegated under him is that he says, look, you need to judge righteously between a man and his brother. And he even goes on to say, don't show partiality. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You can't start di differentiating who you're going to see based on you know who they are. And I, if it seems like I'm overstating the point, I'm overstating the point. Okay. But this is going to stick with us, right? It's going to make sense. And you guys know I like to do that, and I like to repeat myself. But if I repeat myself and you know what's coming next, then I feel like I'm doing my job, right? So Second um, Chronicles 19, verses 4 through 7. So Jehoshaphat, <coughs> great name, uh, uh, dwelt at Jerusalem. And he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim. And brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. And he, he had a, a great kingdom that, that called uh, everybody back to the, the proper worship of the Lord. Verse 5 says, Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, look what he says to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man but for the Lord. That's a little bit, that puts it in a, Pretty powerful context, doesn't it, right? I think it's Colossians 3.23, do all things as though you're doing them to the Lord, right? I probably messed up a word or two there, but that's the point, right? Do all things as unto the Lord, 
right? I remember um, when Dave Lehman, actually he and his family came um, uh, uh, this morning. Uh, he was, uh, Dave Lehman is my best friend. You know, I've grown up with him. Uh, and uh, he and he and Mike Archer, the three of us, best friend amigos, uh, and as we've grown up. And, and uh, Dave and I were on the wrestling team from uh, junior high up through high school, senior year, we become wrestling captains. And, and uh, so uh, we, we had that wrestling background together, right? And uh, later on in life, um, after we had moved back to, to Maine and, and everything, Jen and I had moved back to Maine, and uh, Dave's like, hey, I'm going to start, uh, start a wrestling team um, at Calvary Chapel in, in Orrington. I, I don't remember if he – yes, he started it, I think, and then Garth Barini took it over, vice versa. Um, but I think Dave started it either way. So I was helping him. And uh, this was one of the ver- – Colossians 3.23 was one of the verses. Like we try to do a Bible study before every practice. And we were just talking about the importance of working hard. And, you know, do all things as unto the Lord, right? So if we're doing everything the way we should be doing them and, and doing our best at what we're doing, as though we're doing it for the Lord, then we do it. We're holding ourselves to a higher standard. That's what Jehoshaphat is saying uh, to these judges is, is, look, you're not judging for man. You're judging for the Lord. You're accountable to the Lord. If we know we're accountable to the Lord, that's that he is a higher um, authority than any man, right? We may be able to physically see man, uh, and, and we may be able to be more intimidated or whatever in this life, but when we understand who God is, that he's the righteous judge and, and the judge overall, uh, then if we're understanding who we are and who he is, then that's going to help us with judging accurately. Okay, so that was a really long commentary without even finishing the verse here. Uh, Verse 6 says, And he said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, uh, for you do not judge for man, but for God who is with you in judgment. Now therefore, excuse me, now therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. No partiality nor taking of bribes. I, this was serious because when you're in that position, you can be susceptible to partiality and to taking bribes. And what he's saying is, is look what God does. You know, when you consider God as the perfect standard for judgment, you know, he's not going to be swayed by partiality or bribes. And Jehoshaphat is putting them in the proper mindset. We got two more scripture references to look at. I know I said I'm probably overstating this, but Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. Verse 17 says, you shall not pervert pervert a justice. Do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember those that were listed when we were just reading in those first five verses where he's talking about defending them and taking care of these needy and everything? Look at God's plan to provide for them. Uh, Continuing in 19, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. You do these things and you take care of the widows and those that are needy. God is going to bless you. Verse 20. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger and the fatherless and the widow. We're seeing a theme here. Verse 21. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger 
the fatherless and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. It's a command that they cannot do those. They have to be obedient to that command. It's a com it's not optional. It's not like, hey, if you want to take care of people, this is how you do it. God is telling him, you must do these things. You are required by God's law to do these things. So we see God protecting the poor, the needy. But we also see in these scriptures to, to, to protect justice and, and to judge justly and righteously and to judge without partiality. But when he's talking about the poor and needy, that, those are the ones that are going to be need to be defended more oftentimes, right? Last verse I have, uh, actually, I lied to you. I have, I have two more. I had three, and I, I overlooked one. So Psalm 68, verse 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. So God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. You know, if you're one taking, you know, these guys are being indicted for not doing these things. So who are they going to answer to? God, right? God, the perfect judge, will step in. Last verse I have before we actually move to verse 6 uh, in Psalm 82, Proverbs 11.1. 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. If they are not judging justly and they're being given over to partiality and they're shirking their duties of looking after people, and, and if they're those people that are willing to look and be uh, say, oh, you know what, I'm going to judge unjustly because I'm going to benefit for those, that's an abomination to the Lord. So all of that indictment of those first five verses of Psalm 82 are pretty powerful. you know. And we're seeing, okay, what does partiality look, look like, right? And what is their responsibility uh, when they're to care for the needy and uh, the poor and, and uh, the widow? And uh, lastly, okay, what it, what does it mean to just, uh, if you're, if you're uh, a, an unjust judge, uh, what does the Lord have to say about that? Dishonest scales are an abomination, uh, but a just weight is his delight. That proper judgment, right? So if, you, if you're one that sells something by the pound and you've got that scale, I, I've told you this, this story before, as wrestlers, it was always a fun thing to mess with somebody when they were stepping on the, uh, you know, we know they've worked so hard to make weight. You don't make weight, you don't wrestle that week or the week after, right? So we'd like to mess with our, 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 our teammates a little bit and just change that even a half a pound. They're like, what? I, I didn't eat anything last night, and I gained a half a pound. What's going on? You know, it's, it's a fun way to do that. We're just joking around. But when somebody's tipping those scales in their favor so they can take advantage of other people, that's not just. That's not righteous. They're stealing from somebody. And that type of, of unjust uh, judgment that these guys were willing to overlook in those things, God's saying that's an abomination. They shouldn't be putting up with that type of, of behavior that's go, that's going on here. That type of thing where you're willing to look at dishonest scales to benefit from it, uh, you're going to answer to the judge. Verse 6, I said, you are gods. All of you are, are children of the Most High. You shall not die, uh, sorry, you shall die like men and shall uh, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth. Uh, for you shall inherit all the nations. You know, verses 6 to 8 are talking about a judgment coming for those who fail at their duties. And uh, that's, the, you know, those are some pretty crazy things uh, to consider. That, um, you know, all of you are, are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall 
uh, like one of the princes. You know, a prince has a long way to fall if they die, right? Uh, you know, consider the power they have and everything. He's like, you know, you can you can act like you have all this, but you're going to die. Um, uh, you know, just like anybody else. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. You know, they, they were called to judge righteously, not be bribed or show partiality, be honest, uh, hear uh, matters, uh, and apply the law accurately. Uh, that was their job, and uh, they're being rebuked here, and it's a strong rebuke. Um, I've shared this verse, so if, um, if it's being overshared and you know what's coming next, uh, but what is what does God say in, in Micah 6, 8? He has shown you, O man, um, what, is, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, right? God loves uh, the, the uh, proper judgment and that we would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. When we don't, we're going to be corrected. We're going to get a spiritual spanking when we don't because we're neglecting God's word in our life. And uh, when he calls us to, and th those things should be simple, right? Those should be simple things like, hey, do the right thing, uh, you know, uh, love mercy, and to walk humbly. And with, with the Lord, those are uh, some pretty basic things uh, that we're called to. But, man, don't we make things a lot harder on ourselves. Moving to Psalm 83. We're going to make it, guys. We're going to make it. Psalm 83. You know, some connect this uh, psalm to Jehoshaphat's reign. Uh, some say uh, this doesn't. But, um, you know, we'll look at uh, some uh, some important things. And we're mostly going to look at and highlight three main requests that are made. So verses 1 through 8 are going to discuss, uh, to discuss a crying out to the Lord to see what's happening. God, are you seeing what's happening? Please, you know, take notice. Verses 9 through 12 is a request to the Lord to do what is necessary. And verses 16 through 18 is for the Lord to glorify his name. Verse 1 of Psalm 83, and uh, you know these first eight verses, remember, it's, Lord, see what's happening here. So it says, a song, a song of a psalm of Asaph, do not be silent, O Lord, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people. And consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. That the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia, and with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. So uh, we see here, and this is, this is common to what we've been reading um, uh, through the Psalms. So we're not going to spend as much time uh, as we just did in Psalm 82 on, on this one here, but do you see the crying? Now, does your mind as you're reading this, does it reflect to what's happening? Does it bounce to what's happening here that started just a couple weeks ago and what's happening? Where it seems, doesn't even seem, where Israel is starting to um, experience another attack from those nations that surround it. And, uh, and when you see what's happening here, and I love how Will shared this on, on, on Sunday, and he's talking about prophecies uh, like Ezekiel 38. Doesn't look exactly like that there, 
But all it takes is, is this to move and this to move, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is looking pretty close to it, right? When we start looking at prophecy being fulfilled, and, and you look, and Israel is still very much hated by all of those around him, uh, around them. So that crying out, Lord, look what's happening here. You, know, you consider in, in 1948 when Israel became a nation again, I mean, Israel as, as a reestablished state, uh, is is very very young, but we know their roots are are ancient. But you consider they've always had enemies around them. The, very rarely, right? When you're looking through the scripture, it's like and Israel had peace all around them, right? It was a rare thing, right? Israel is hated. They they've been hated by this world, and what they're saying is, is God, you're the one to protect us. Would you please take notice of? Excuse me. All these nations, all of these that are around us, that are that are consulting each other, and they all are of one consent. Um, I, I I love that uh, that Will shared us uh, this with us years ago, and it stuck with me. And it's talking about peace in Israel, and it was a profound thing that he said. He said, if if you consider what the world is asking Israel to do is to disarm itself, if Israel disarmed itself. It would not exist as a nation. If the Arab nations around them would, dis would disarm themselves, there would be peace around them. Right? You, you consider, right? Because of the violence, right? Guys, there's some weird accusations. Like, I, think, I think it was Will that shared here that, that they're actually saying that Israel knew these attacks were going to come and they just let thousands of their people get attacked and some, you know, getting killed and kidnapped and all those horrible things that we've read about and heard about. That they knew about it because they wanted this war. No. Because when it happened, out come the government and they're like, we're declaring war. We're at war right now. Because they were attacked. What did this nation do? Right? Within an hour, we lost over 3,000 people. What did we say? Who were we at war with? Right? That, that was the, the response. If Israel were to lay down their weapons, they would be annihilated. When when Ken, when uh, Will shared that, I was like, "Oh my goodness, that's so powerful." So there's the cry in these first eight verses, asking the Lord to see what's happening. Verses nine through eleven, asking the Lord to do what's necessary. Verse nine says, "Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook uh, Kishon, sorry, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse." Uh, of on the earth, so these reflections of what has happened in their in their history make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, all the princes like Zeba and Zalmana, who said, "Let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession, like we're going to steal from God." Right? Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff. Before the wind. So all those that were utterly destroyed that were just mentioned here and, and the, the, the cry out is, Lord, do what's necessary. Right. Verse uh, verse 13. I, I said through verse 11. What I meant was verse 15 uh, through verse 15. Oh, my God. Make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. As the fire burns the woods, as the flame sets the mountain on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. God, would you please take care of this? 
as you've taken care of these enemies before, we're asking you to bring these people to this utter destruction. Where it says in verse 13, oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, right? The whirling dust, that there's, they have no... Uh, they're not settled at all. They're being spread. They're being completely annihilated like the chaff before the wind. You watch, you watch chaff, right? And it's just blowing everywhere. They're asking God. There's the, the, the cry and asking God to make them uh, like this wind. As the fire burns in the woods, as the flames set uh, the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. God, please, you know what we're facing. Please take care of this. You know, we want to, we want, if we're in the middle of something and we feel like everything's against us, where do we go? But to the Lord, you know, we try to take care of a scenario like this where we know we're right and we can go to the Lord and say, God, I don't understand what's happening here. This isn't from anything I've done. I'm, I'm, I'm under attack and I don't know what to do. We can come to God and say, Lord, I need you to take care of these things. And he will such a, a, a total blessing for us to know that the Lord will fight on our behalf. Verse Verse 16, so this is that, that last part. So we looked at, Lord, see what's happening. Uh, see what's happening. Lord, do what is necessary. This third uh, main request is glorify your name. Verse 16 says, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may, uh, that, uh, they may know that you whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Now, as I read that, I'm reminded, remember in our Old Testament study, right? We're now in, in Exodus. And, and how many times were the children of Israel crying out against Egypt? And God was saying uh, that he was going to pour out his wrath against Egypt. And he was going to utterly destroy them. And he wanted, and he made the point that they would know that I am the Lord. Right. That was that was what he would say. He'd say, you're going to do this. And I want you to tell them this, that though they may know that I am God. Right. Because they were worshiping all these pagan gods and they had all these foreign gods. And we saw God, um, you know, just pouring out his judgment on these false gods and showing how useless and powerless they were. And then he would say that they would know that I am the Lord. That uh, that's that's that I am God. And uh, so when they're saying glorify your name, it would be God glorifying his name just as he did back then. So uh, I, I like this, that it says, you know, before asking for the enemy's destruction, Asaph asked for them to be ashamed and dismayed. Right. For all that they're doing, Lord, bring them to shame and uh, and bring them to dismay uh, before their um their destruction. And uh, when, when you consider uh, what they're asking for, for things to be restored, to be restored as they were in Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, again, in Je Jehoshaphat's reign, Second Chronicles 20 verses 29 and 30 say, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries uh, when they heard that the Lord uh, had fought against the enemies of Israel, uh, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave them rest all around. Right? Where did their where did their uh, their victory come from? From the Lord. God gave them the rest. God took care of everything, and I love that it says there. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms and countries uh, that heard uh, that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You know, just that that ability just to know, like, hey, you know what? 
God took care of all of these things. And we can rest in and, and the rest that they have, as it says in verse 30, second Chronicles 20, it says, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. God gave him the rest. It wasn't like, hey, you know, Israel and all our might, look what we've done and everything. The, the acknowledgement of who gave him the victory uh, was was uh, to the Lord. It wasn't to, hey, we've got all this strength. Look at Israel right now. I pray, I pray that Israel understands and returns their mindset, if they're not there already, of where their help comes from. Their help doesn't come from their rockets, from a, you know, any type of military might. Because we saw, we saw where Israel would start trusting in, you know, some trust in, in horses, some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God, Right? Though the, the importance of understanding where does our help come from? Where is our strength? Because we can have chariots. We can have horses. Look at the Egyptians. Israel had nothing. We just studied this, right? Israel had nothing. And here they are. They're stuck between the water and the wilderness and what's coming through the wilderness, but the, the Egyptian army coming after them. They have no way to defend themselves. God parts the Red Sea. Israel walks through on dry land, and he takes their chariots, their horses, all their mighty men wipes out the whole nation. They couldn't claim any victory. They couldn't claim that they did anything. God showed himself strong. And, and he's the only one that wants the glory. You know, so that glorify your name, you know, when God has done it, he's the only one that can be glorified. You can't sit there and be like, yeah, it's because we get, you know, we're really awesome, right? How many times did they have a mighty, uh, you know, um, you know, mighty men of valor and they went into battle and they got their butts whooped and they had to turn around and go back and be like, what's wrong? You know, they had to figure out what's wrong and then be rebuked, right? It's because they were turning their backs on the Lord and their lives were compromised. And God's like, no, you're not going to have victory. You know, and God does the same with us, right? Where we're going, hey, I'm still going to be able to do this and hide this in my life. And God's still going to be victory. Give me victory. He's like, uh-uh, you're, you're a child called by my name. Those whom I love, I chasten those whom I love, right? He loves us so much. He's going to give us a spiritual spanking if we need it. To get us uh, right with him. Oh, he's such a faithful, wonderful father. That correction is, is in love. It's such a, a wonderful thing. None of us like the correction. It's not nice when we're getting it, but we understand why it's there and, and what God is accomplishing through, uh, you know, in us through it. It's a powerful thing. We're going to get there. Psalm 84. We just sang this song. This is awesome. Verse, verse, uh, uh, verses one through four is uh, that delight that is in the Lord. So, uh, uh, you know, to the chief musician, verse one, on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord, of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, that they may still be praising you. You know, the desire to be in the presence of the Lord. We just sang this, right? So it's, it's, this should all be very, very fresh. We literally sang most of these words that we're looking at here and meditated on them. You know, as we're singing it, hopefully there's a meditation happening here instead of just our lips moving. But there's a meditation in thinking about you know, what we're saying here. Blessed are all those that are there in the presence of the Lord. Uh, I like that it says they will still be praising you. 
um, where it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Right? What do we see when we see, you know, the, the glimpses of heaven we see? We see everybody, <coughs> excuse me, praising God. And we've talked about that before. There isn't a boredom happening in heaven, right? I was at a men's conference uh, here a couple weeks ago, and Ken Graves was talking about that. He's like, and uh, actually the pastor that was speaking was talking about it. He's like, if, if we're just thinking like, hey, uh, even if it was just heaven was just like a continual church service, I guarantee us none of us are ever going to be disappointed with it. We are in the presence of God our creator, right? Because everything that we long for in this life is now in front of us, right? That, 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 that saying, right? That, that we have a God shaped hole in our hearts that, that only God can fill. Consider that, that fulfillment we were seeking here and how, how fickle we are, right? Like the Psalm says, you know, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Because we have to battle with sin, our battle with sin is over, and we're now in the presence of our Father. There isn't anything else to distract us that would call us away from that. You ever been in a spot like at a, at a conference or, or, or even just hopefully here in this church where they're like, I don't even want to stop singing to God. I don't want to stop being in his word. Like that's the continue what we see in, in heaven. Is it going to be a continual church service? I don't know. You know, but I know that there are houses Jesus is talking about. Why would we have houses if we're just going to be a church all the time? I don't care, right? I, I mean, I'd rather, and we're going to see here, I'd rather just be a doorkeeper. Hey, if I'm just a dude opening the door, I'm there. You know, that's that. those are my aspirations, right? I had pretty low aspirations as a teenager. I've shared that with you guys. As long as I got a 70 in a class and I passed it, done. You know, out of like, out of like 100 and... Uh, I don't know how many people we started with, we graduated with. I'll say 78. I was like 71. <laughs> you know, I had very low aspirations as a student. Didn't care. As long as my grades were good enough for sports, I don't care. You know, and it, when my grades were getting low, especially wrestling. Football, not yeah, so much, but wrestling was like, so my wrestling coach, who was a tall guy, and I really respect it. I was very close, much closer to him than I was my – I was 119 pounds, all right? Football coach wasn't oogling over me, okay? Uh, didn't care. I could tackle, um, but that was about it. But, uh, you know, he had some bigger, stronger, faster guys than me, so they would get more attention. But wrestling, man, I couldn't get away from it because I was a lightweight wrestler, starter and everything. And, and uh, But uh, he had my attention. And why am I talking about that? I have no idea. Anyways. I don't, I don't know why I'm talking about wrestling. Doorkeeper. Oh, doing the minimum, right? Thank you. Yeah, so as long as I was doing the minimum and I wasn't in trouble with that coach, I was fine with it, right? I'd bring my report card, a progress report, if my mom asked for it. I'd bring it out reluctantly, right? But uh, but otherwise, I'm like, hey, mom doesn't know what's coming uh, here, you know? Sometimes she'd look and be like, all right, you know, as long as it wasn't like D's and stuff like that, which, you know, of course I was okay with a 70. Uh, I got a 70 in, in um, Spanish 1, and I got a 70 in uh, pre-algebra. Um, both my freshman year, and I was like, yes, got a credit. I'm done. You know, why did I do uh, – and then my, my uh, Spanish teacher convinced me to do Spanish 1 again, and I got like a 96 because I knew all the stuff, and I'm acting like I was all smart in there. I'm like, yeah, dude, you've done this stuff twice, you know. But uh, I don't know why I did it because I didn't want to go to Spanish 2, but I, I, it maybe it increased my GPA. I don't know how they do that. But um, my GPA was like a 1.7, so I don't – yeah, it was awful. I told you guys I was not a good student, but – but that bare minimum, right? But when there's the accountability there, um, then, um, man. So so it, for me, it was if I could just slide in, right? 
But in eternity, if I'm the doorkeeper, perfect. If I'm the guy with a broom, awesome. <laughs> you know what? I could just be there and just be singing to the Lord and what if, not that there's not, you guys get it, right? I don't have to get weird with you know anything, but you know, if he wants to give me a job of a doorkeeper, perfect. As long as I'm in his presence, whatever he's got for me, I'm excited. <clears throat> verse eight. Oh, sorry, verses five through eight. You know, what we'll see here in overall theme is my strength is in the Lord, right? Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one, I like that. They go from strength to strength, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I go from like flailing to flailing. Right? This is from strength to strength when we're walking with the Lord, right? The strength we have. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Right? Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. <clears throat> you know, if we want to consider an opposite, Jeremiah 17 5 says, Thus says the, the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. That's the opposite, right? But I would rather stick with this. Blessed is a man whose strength is in the Lord, in you, right? Because if my strength is in man and my trust is in man, it says that there's a curse that goes along with that. Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, right? And it goes on to say, because what's going to be the result of that? Their heart is going to depart from the Lord. The same can be said, like I said, with Israel. If they were to turn and, and make their military might their strength, then there's, the Lord isn't their strength. They need to, and I pray they are, and I hope they are trusting in the Lord, especially right now, right? Because we trust in the Lord a lot more during the hard times, right? I've shared that with you. And I know you, I know with us here that if we understand who the Lord is and we start going through the hard time, um, that's when we really cling to the Lord. And I, re, I, I'm hesitant to share this, but scanning through channels, Jen and I were uh, getting a coffee today, and I was trying to find the Patriots game. Uh, just to see what the score was and everything. And I put it to uh, one of the channels here, and I'm like, oh, sometimes they have the, the Patriots or, or Red Sox games on. And I hear this song, and it's this guy. His name's Jelly Roll. And I'm like, who is this guy, right? And he says, and he's singing in this song, and I'm like, you know what? This is a guy that understands his life is not right. His relationship with the Lord is not right. And he says, I only talk to God. What is it? I only talk to God. I'm going to look up the lyrics. I'm sorry. <clears throat> this is really bad to do, but I um, I don't think it's, it's sinful to do or anything. I only talk to, what is it? Yeah, I only talk to God when, it, don't look up this, don't like buy this song. Okay, I'm not, I'm not authorizing this song. But what I'm saying is, is this man in his backslidden state, because I think he knows the truth. Um, and he's saying, uh, I'll just read you the, the, don't, like I said, don't look it up. Don't buy the song. I'm just going to read you this guy, because I think he does swear in the song. But he says, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So, I can't read that line. But to expect a Savior, oh, if I only talk to God when I need a favor, but God, I need a favor. Amen, amen. This is a guy that's living in the world and understands it's not right. And he's saying, well, if I only talk to God when I need a favor, that's wrong. Even he understands that, guys. That God is, is stirring this man's heart. He's a secular artist. Don't buy the song. Don't look it up. Don't, don't reference it. Don't try to find it anything. But what I'm saying is, is the world understands. Those that know the truth and are not making God their strength and, and that their life is a complete wreck, 
this is that's a man that is is in the back and I hope he repents and says what am I doing singing this song every night to a crowd and he says you know what I need to turn to God and I need to walk away from this and I need to, the Lord to be my strength man wow anyways the soapbox brought me somewhere you know the godly desire to be where God is and the presence of God and the blessings that are there are always going to uh, supersede whatever this world has to offer us. So blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, right? Versus cursed is the man um, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. You know, it's one or the other. Who do we trust? Man and and uh, in our own strength or, or somebody else's strength, or do we trust in the Lord? Wrapping this up in these last... Uh, verses here, verses 9 through 12, and we see uh, the focus being the trust uh, in uh, being placed in the Lord. O God, behold our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper uh, in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. What a wonderful song. You know what? I, I love singing that song even more uh, as, I, as I look through this. And, and we're, we're, uh, we get to see the rest of even what it's saying here. Um, you know, rather what, what I like here, if you, if you consider, um, what's, what's being said here for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. We just sang that. So we're probably a little more familiar with that, but no, literally it is right. <laughs> if, if, you know, just being there for a day would be a, a better than a thousand somewhere else. And it continues when you're considering, you know, how, how much of a blessing it is to be in the in, in the presence of the Lord versus what the world has to offer us and what sin has to offer us. It continues to say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the, in the tents of wickedness, right? And the implication that we're seeing here is that the tents of wickedness would appeal to us, right? The wicked things, the sinful things that our hearts and our sinful nature desires that we would rather be a doorkeeper in God's uh, presence and, and spend uh, you know one day with him than a thousand um, days being in a place of this, like uh, the, the dwelling in the tents of wickedness that are going to fulfill all our fleshly desires. Look at the, what the promise is of, of false religions, guys. Okay, Mormonism. You're going to become a god, right? It's literally the promise that someday you will become a god. It's crazy. What did what did Satan say? Right? What got him cast out? The five I will statements, right? That he was going to uh, promote himself, that I will be like the most high God, right? I love those people. I want them to come to the truth. But what they're following right now is a lie, telling them they're straight out of hell, telling them they are going to become their own gods and create their own worlds. That's, that's quite a, a thing when you look at it. And if you look at... Um, I won't get into some of the, the other things here, you know, present uh, company here included. But when you consider some of the, the false things that would appeal to your flesh, you know, uh, that there would be several people available to you to help appeal to your flesh. I'll say it that way for an eternity. And you can fulfill that fleshly desire for all of eternity. What in the world is that? 
What does God have to offer us? His presence. Forgiveness, newness of life in Him. Breaking the bondage of sin and to be in His presence forever. That's going to supersede anything that these, these, uh, the, the, the lies of this world have to offer, offer us, man. You know, rather keep a door than dwell where sin, sin is. You know, the passing pleasures of sin, right? Because they're passing pleasures. They won't always, they're sometimes, they're, they're pleasurable for a while, right? Until the snares and the hooks get driven in and, and you're stuck in the snare. Then you're, you're, you're ensnared and, and the ultimate goal is death, right? What I love here as we're wrapping this up, it says, the Lord will give grace and glory. <laughs> you know what? God will give grace. And, and we, you know, we will be able to glory in his presence. No good thing will he withhold those who uh, from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Now, if you consider in our in our nation uh, where we're so fixated on 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 the uh, material, uh, don't get dis disrupted and uh, get uh, wrapped up. And we need to speak against that. This isn't talking about God just pouring out that we're going to be rich in this world. He's talking about the riches that come from God, right? Now that that's a weird thing here. He'll bless us with Him. <laughs> right? That's what we're going to get. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Right? What a beautiful summary uh, to this. That's what it's all about, being blessed by God in our relationship with him and what he has for us in this life and in the next. There's nothing compared that compares to what God has for us here in this world. And that we're not going to be thinking back when we get to heaven. We're not going to be like, this is it. You know, this is all God had for us. We're going to be like the, the, the passing pleasures of this world. We're going to forget all about those things, right? Those sinful things, right? We're going to be in God's presence, and we are going to be blessed and 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 just be praising him. We have so much to look forward to in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful, Lord, for the hope we have in you. Lord, that you would fight our battles, that you are the one that protects us. Lord, that someday we look forward to being in your presence. But we know, Lord, we can experience your blessings now and in this life. Oh, you won't withhold the good things here in this life or in the next, God, that you want to bless us with godly gifts to bless us and that we might serve you. We might praise you and share you with a lost and broken world around us. Help us, Lord, with what has been entrusted to us, the gospel. Lord, that we wouldn't show partiality in our own hearts. Let it not be said of us individually or as a church, but that we love every single individual that walks through this door, sharing your love and grace with them, praising with them alongside them. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts and what you are doing in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would apply this, what we've learned today, to our, our speech, to our conduct, and that you would use us uh, to shine as bright lights in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.